Welcome to the Climb Your Mountain podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Maurer, a certified personal trainer, high altitude mountaineer, and ultra runner. Each week, I show you how to train, eat, think, and live like a mountaineer so you can boost your chances of reaching the summit. My passion is to empower people of all ages and sizes to get outside and live lives of adventure. Remember, mountain climbing will never be easier than today. So let's dive into the show. Are you frustrated with yourself in training? Do you get down on your body, calling it fat, old, or slow? Or do you constantly compare yourself to others so that you feel like you never measure up? Friend, if this is landing for you, you might have a problem with what I call dirty motivation. It's the idea that you can nag, whip, or hate your way to fitness, weight loss, and other health goals. And science shows that while negative motivation can get short-term results, it usually sabotages your long-term success. The good news is that now that you know, you can clean up your motivation. So on today's podcast, we're going to talk about positive motivation strategies that get long-term and even lifelong results. Ready? Let's do this. Today's episode is brought to you by my course, Mountain Fit, Self-Coaching for Mountain Athletes. So congratulations, you've signed up for a mountaineering trip or a long distance trek. Now, how the French toast do you get in shape for it? You could hire a coach to help you, but the ones who actually understand our sport are so damn expensive. And even if you get a good one, no coach is ever going to understand your lifestyle, your schedule, and your body the way that you do. The truth is you will always be your own best coach. You just need to know what to do and when to do it. That's why I created Mountain Fit. This online masterclass is the roadmap you've been looking for to help you reach your fitness goals. In this course, I walk you step-by-step through everything you need to transform yourself into a diesel-powered hiking machine, even if you're starting from absolute zero. By the end, you'll know how to assess your fitness level, write a training plan that gets results, and choose the best exercises for your goals. And if you need a starting point, I've included 40 weeks, that's 40 weeks of training plans you can adapt for your own season. So stop wasting thousands of dollars on Tracy, the big box gym trainer who has never hiked a day in her life. Learn how to train yourself with Mountain Fit. To check it out, just click the link in the show notes. Hope to see you in there. Hey friends, how you doing? We're well into July by the time you're listening to this. So hopefully you are getting really excited about your upcoming mountaineering trips. Some of you might have already done summer mountaineering trips. If so, I would so love to hear about them. Definitely connect with me on Instagram if we're not already friends so I can see what you're up to. And if I'm not like following you back, definitely. Usually if people have like similar interests, hobbies, I generally will, but yeah, feel free to hit me with a message and be like, yo, I I listen to your podcast. Like, hey, look what I'm doing. Because I do. I really love to see what you're up to. So let's dive into the topic for today. Let's talk about dirty motivation, which sounds kind of sexy in a way, but (laughs) it actually is. One of those topics that I think makes such a huge difference once you understand this concept and can apply it to your training. So first of all, like, why do we talk about motivation so much in endurance training? And the answer is because it's an essential ingredient. Endurance training, even if you have a best case scenario, it's going to take four to six months to really get in shape for a big mountaineering objective. For some of you, it can take much longer. Maybe you start a year ahead of time preparing for your trip. 
Motivation is also really key to some of the goals that we often bring into mountaineering training and endurance training. These can be things like weight loss or reversing a health condition like pre-diabetes. And for some of us, this is the first time in our entire lives we've taken on a big, long, huge commitment where we're responsible only to ourselves. We might have taken on long-term commitments at work or in our, our marriage or partnership or as parents of our kids. But for something where it's only us answering to ourselves. This is often, whenever we start training for a mountaineering trip, one of the first times we've done that, which is both amazing and really hard and scary, right? So let's talk a little bit about why it's so hard. Why is motivation such a struggle for some people? So what I see happen a lot in my community and just with people around me, many people start strong with their mountaineering training, and then they fizzle after a month or two. And it's not because they're not motivated motivated, even though that's often what they like to beat themselves up about. Often, the reason they're having a hard time is because they're trying to motivate themselves from what I call a dirty place. So dirty motivation, just to define this for you, involves negative thoughts and emotions, using those to try to move yourself to action. And often, this happens unconsciously. You don't really realize like how mean you're being to yourself and how your inner critic is really the one that's running the show during training. And often this voice, this inner critic is from a significant other in your life or in your past. It might be the voice of a parent, a teacher, a spouse. Often this dirty motivation pattern is some, is kind of part of a bigger picture of how we operate in the world. So just to give you a couple examples to make this more concrete, here's what dirty motivation can sound like. So if you're aware of the thoughts at all, it probably can sound sometimes like punishment or atonement. So for example, you might tell yourself you have to exercise today because you've let yourself go. You've gotten fat. You've gotten pre-diabetes. You can't fit into your old genes. Things like that, right? Trying to motivate yourself basically through punishing yourself. So much fun, right? Another thing way it can sound is self-doubt. So you might be thinking things like, well, I've always been fat since I was a kid, or I'm bad at sticking with exercise programs. I just don't have much motivation. Another thing that can come up is self-shaming. You might tell yourself during a workout, hey, you should be able to do this. Or you might think, this should be so much easier. I am such a wimp. And you might tell yourself this even when you're doing an outdoor workout and it's 90 degrees. You just can never give yourself a break whenever you're in this space. Comparison is another way this comes up. So you might see that your friend Susie can do it better. She's faster. She's stronger. And then you notice that she's also 10 years older, 20 pounds heavier. Her diet is not great. She's eating Cheetos on trail when you stop for a break. So comparing yourself is another way that you can really just beat yourself up as far as your motivation. So I like to call this dirty motivation. Different teachers have kind of different descriptions for it. So one of my favorite comes from my drinking coach. Whenever I was cutting back on my drinking, her name is Rachel Hart. She calls it basically being an asshole to yourself, which I love. That's exactly what it is, right? It's more than beating yourself up often. You're just often being cruel to yourself in ways that you would never be to another human being. If this is applied to weight loss, another coach that I really enjoy and follow is Brooke Castillo. She calls 
hating yourself thin, trying to motivate yourself to lose weight from a place of just hatred for your body, for your putting down yourself, your willpower, making it a moral issue. And all of this in you creates emotions, right? It creates feelings of shame, guilt, resentment. And so as I'm describing this, can you see why people with dirty motivation really struggle with motivation? Who wants to feel like this for six months? You can see how often people can kind of have willpower and white knuckle it and do it for a month or two. And then just the pain becomes too much and they need to stop. So if if you're recognizing this in yourself, know that it's incredibly common. I've certainly been there speaking from total experience as I'm sharing some of these thoughts that come up with you. And almost every mountaineer that I've talked to has had some form of this. I think some people are more prone than others, but wherever you are on the scale, know that it's also possible to change. So let's talk about change how to change our motivation. The tool I love to use for this is called the Think, Feel, Act cycle. This is not something I invented. It's been you know, used by many people. It's part of cognitive behavioral therapy. If you've done therapy, that might sound familiar to you. But basically, it's just thinking about the interrelations between our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions, and then working on the parts that we can change, which is actually going to be our thoughts. Spoiler alert. But let's back it up a little bit. So whenever we think about motivation, motivation is basically taking action. Where do our actions come from? Really fundamentally, they come from our feelings and our emotional state. Our motivation to work out, for example, is going to be much more sustainable when it comes from emotions like determination, discipline, purpose, maybe even excitement than some of those emotions we mentioned previously, like shame, guilt, resentment, and beating ourselves up. So that begs the question, how do we get better feelings? A lot of people think it comes from our circumstances. For example, if we're at work and our boss criticizes us, then we might feel hurt. We might feel angry. And we might indeed feel that way, but actually it's not the boss that's making us feel that way. It's our thought about what just happened. Probably if your boss is criticizing you, it might be something like, wow, (laughs) either they have no idea what they're talking about, or it might be something like, they're right, I really suck at this. So either way, we're going to have some negative emotions around that. You can see how that works. And the good news about all of this is that we can learn new thoughts. We can actually learn to think about exercise and our bodies and our abilities in ways that actually serve us instead of using this dirty motivation to kind of whip ourselves along like a slave driver. Now, when I start talking about learning new thoughts, a lot of people think about affirmations. If you think about Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live, and he's always repeating, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. We really need to make sure when we're coming up with new thoughts to think, practicing new thoughts to think, they're things that we actually believe, like deep inside with our whole being. And you might not be ready to believe a thought like, I can do anything. I'm an Olympic athlete. That might be a reach for you. So we really start with things that just seem true to us. And it might start with something as basic as this is a human body. I have a human body. So let's actually walk through some thoughts that really contribute to clean motivation. And you can kind of hear what that sounds like. So that first one is 
There's two that I like. One is you have been given a body or one that I've learned from coach Kara Lowenthal. And she has an amazing podcast called the Unfuck Your Brain podcast. Like hers is, this is a human body. She even applies it to different parts of the body. If you're, for example, working on a weight loss goal and you're upset about your stomach, just thinking to yourself, this is a human stomach. And so you can apply it to different parts of you that maybe seem to you like they should be different than they actually are. And just really kind of starting to come to some acceptance with that. So why are these thoughts powerful? Why are they a good place to start? First of all, they're going to be true for just about anyone. And second, they're really attuning us to our body, reconnecting us to our body. If you think about it, how often through the course of the day, and even when you're doing physical things like exercising, do you just completely forget that you have a body (laughs) that has needs, that has sensations, that has wants that need to be taken care of? A lot of times we are just very disconnected from our bodies. We use our thoughts to tune out our body's needs. Like for example, maybe if you're really busy at work, you might like just go for a couple of hours working, even though you really need to get up and pee, or you really need to get up and eat or drink some water or hydrate. So what's the cure for all of this? Really, it's starting to practice what we call embodiment. So embodiment is moment-to-moment awareness of your body, its sensations, and just learning to attune to those so that you can respond to them, so that you can be nurturing, so that you can give your body what it needs Instead of whipping it according to some story that you made up in your brain that really might not be true. And great practices for embodiment, anything with mindfulness. I personally really love breath work. That's the one that's really done it the most for me. If you're interested in exploring that, definitely check the link in the show notes. I have lots of options of how you can be introduced to the practice of breath work, whether that's, you know, doing a free group session or doing a private session with me. Check it out. It's all there if that's something that you really want to get into. My wish is to bring this to all athletes because I really think it's just powerful and such a game changer. So once you've kind of got the idea that you have a body, getting a little bit better at paying attention to it, responding to its needs, being a good body owner, really the next step that I like to go to is body, all we have is each other. Another way to say that, body, we're in this together. So really the purpose of this thought, I think what it does for me is it helps me to stop being such an asshole to myself into my body. So a great example of this that happened recently, it's the summertime when I'm recording this. So I'm often going out and running when it's really hot. And if you know anything about human physiology, like it's really hard to exercise in the heat, right? You're necessarily going to slow down, need more time, need a lot more water, need maybe some more food, some more sodium. Like there's so many more needs that your body has that often we are really bad at attuning to. We just think we should be able to run when it's hot the same way we do when it's cold. So often what I used to do when I was doing hot weather workouts and just feeling like I was slowing down was to really like whip myself and I'll be like, okay, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to slow down and walk during my run, but I want to run for 10 minutes straight. And then after those 10 minutes, I'll watch it on my watch. I can slow down and walk for one minute. And that's really, if you think about it, just something I made up in my mind. It has nothing to do with my body's needs with how hot I am. Maybe I'm on the verge of 
freaking heat stroke, right? And I'm going to try to run for another 10 minutes rather than just listening to my body and giving it what it needs. So I decided to try a different approach on a recent run. I was just really struggling and I was trying to do like the 10 minute run walk thing. And it was just really, I was walking a lot. So I kind of made a deal with my body. I'm like, body, just tell me when it's time to walk, when it's time to run, I'm just going to listen to you. And I did this and wouldn't you know it, (laughs) I actually ended up running a lot more than I was whenever I was trying to put my body on the schedule of my mind. And I was amazed with the results and have been really trying to bring that more into my workouts, into my fitness life, just letting the body lead. And in order to let it lead, we really have to A, be tuned into it and B, just give it permission and realize that you and your body are one, you're in this together. You can't do it without your body, right? You can't climb the mountain without your body. So why not just bring your body into the process as a partner and really listen to its wisdom. So once you kind of got that part down, another thought you can maybe ladder up to is I can find joy in my body. This is mind-blowing for a lot of people. There are some fairly advanced athletes out there who are pretty good at the part where they whip themselves and like push themselves to perform, and they've never found joy in their body. They're just really excellent slave drivers is how I think of them. So if this is landing for you, if you feel like you might have an element of this in you, you're often like kind of flogging yourself through your workouts and your training, can I suggest you take some time to back it up? Find a way to move that feels healthy, that feels life-affirming, that might be a yoga class, that might be group exercise, walking with a friend, anything. It might have like nothing to do with mountaineering. But I think for your long-term enjoyment of the sport and for having a lifelong practice of fitness, it is so important to find that joy in the body, find that joy and exercise, find out what makes that joyful for you. And if that means you have to like stop training and like back it way up, sometimes I think that's a really wise investment to make. And then another thought to ladder up to once you kind of get some of those under your belt is I exercise to feel fully alive. And you can, instead of alive, maybe you can substitute a word like radiant, vital, energized, like whatever, kind of make sure your soul smile when you hear it. But The point of training is not necessarily to get to the top of the mountain. That's really not the point at all. The point really is like becoming the person who could climb the mountain. And part of that involves like working on our health, working on our nutrition, working on our fitness, working on our mind. And if you're not like going through that whole process and finding joy, finding benefit, finding aliveness and in it, then I think it's time to slow down and really look at what's going on. And another way to think of this, a human life always, always involves some darkness and some light. This is true for training. This is true for fitness. You are not going to love any every minute of it. You are going to have setbacks. But there should always be a balance between the darkness and the light. If you're in a dark tunnel where you're overtraining or you're just such a rigid perfectionist, you can never take a day off to be with family or take care of yourself, you are probably not feeling very alive. So asking yourself, what would in your training life feel more vital and alive and really take some time just to 
sit with your question and listen to your own answers. They are so important. And they're really what's going to make a difference in your mountaineering career long term. So last question people always ask is, does this clean motivation actually work? I think this is a fair question. A lot of us worry that if we're too easy on ourselves, too loving with ourselves, too giving to ourselves, we won't reach that goal of standing on top of the mountain. We kind of sometimes feel like we need like a stern daddy or a mean coach to, and that coach, of course, is ourselves to ourselves. So I don't have an answer to this that's based in science, but in my experience, the exact opposite is true. People who really love and thrive in their sports and who keep doing it long-term, who go on to climb mountains all over the world, they're almost always fueled by positive emotions. They genuinely enjoy the entire journey, the people, the process of growth that happens in training, and it keeps them coming back even after failures. Like maybe they went for a summit and they missed it. They, they didn't get to the top. Like they love the process so much that they're able to just keep going even with setbacks, failures, and even many over the course of their career. So in these cases, mountaineering is genuinely adding positive emotion and connection to their lives. And I think whenever we take up a new sport, that's ultimately what we all want. The connection, the adventure, the sense of growth, the meaning that it brings to our lives. So that's my wish for you. And I hope this episode has been an awesome roadmap on how to get there. If you do have any questions, definitely reach out to me. Um, I'm on Instagram. You can also hop in my Facebook group where mountaineers and backpackers in training links to both of those are in the show notes and friends. It's been so fun spending some time with you and I will catch you right here next week. Take care. Hey friend, if you're enjoying the pod, there are two simple and free ways you can show your support. First of all, please share this with a friend who might find it helpful. And second, please leave a review on iTunes. Your support means the world to me. Thanks so much for tuning in.